first time ever. Hear you loud and clearly. Um, and it was going place. That stuff's great. But the game is not a roguelike. Boomer shooter. <laughs> Bang. Hello, this is John St. John, and you're listening to KWEP In The Keep, bringing you all the hits from the finest in the world of gaming and entertainment. Now sit back and relax as the drowned god Cathala lulls your mind with the tastiest talk in town. Welcome to another chapter of In The Keep podcast. I'm your very own prophet of the drowned god, the Motherlode. The Keep is a collective of gaming enthusiasts compelled by the drowned god Cathala to frag and jib one another into oblivion for all eternity. All right, we are live here with. And you want to be called Al? Not, yeah. not Al. Is fine. Okay. Okay, Al is fine. I already fucked it up. Five seconds in, we're already fucked up. <laughs> so I did some preparation. I've been actually planning on reaching out to you for a while. I uh, finally got the balls to just do it last night. Or early this morning, I guess, my time. But I work night shift, so fuck it. Actually, celebration. Today is my last day of night shift. I'm sure my fans will be very proud. Well, cheers. Uh, so my preparation was I got some uh, Icelandic vodka and celebration of Snorri Sturluson. Uh, who was one of the great writers <laughs> of many scaldic things. And I, I'm so honored to finally get a chance to talk to you, man. So scald, can you just give us the elevator elevator pitch on, you know, what your game is for the folks who are just tuning in and don't know. Yeah. Scald is, uh, scald is a retro style computer RPG currently in development. Uh, mm-hmm. It's inspired by uh, sort of the legacy of RPGs from the early nineties. Uh, the kinds of games that I grew up with, at least. And um, it's sort of my love letter to that genre coming back to it. So now it's sort of a heavily pixelated, uh, dark, grim, dark fantasy, horror-esque RPG that's coming to yeah. early access this summer. What's what's really interesting about just for what I've seen of the game, which is the like 1.3.1 beta, I believe is what you sent me. Yeah. So it's very right out, right out the gate. It's very beautiful, and it mixes a lot of different kinds of styles of games uh, that we kind of call retro games now. So, I mean, you have like sort of the Baldur's Gate thing going on with the, you know top down eight bit pixels and all this kind of stuff, but you also have these uh, large portions of the game that are, play much more like a, like a text adventure. You know, where you're like, okay, you're having a conversation, you make a choice, and these are all parts of what we call an you know an RPG. Uh, but what I noticed a lot was that it, the story um, is an overarching thing, and that's always true. But like, I, I'm going to make comparisons probably to Baldur's Gate because a, I really like that game, and b, uh, people are hyped about Baldur's Gate three coming out. Yeah. So you you do like little side missions and such, and they can take a long time, and they uh, sort of require you to go out of your way and do things. So far, at least from what I've played, it does seem like you very or you're very good at keeping the story moving forward, even with the little side things coming up. Um, was that a decision, like a creative decision for you? Yeah, or yeah you absolutely. I think uh, I think okay. the game uh, the game looks older than the first Baldur's Gate game. It's definitely inspired graphically <laughs> by games that were about five or six years before Baldur's Gate, especially the early. Yeah. Um, the early Ultima games and the Magic Candle series, Wasteland 1. But a lot of the narrative stru- structure of the game is actually directly inspired by Baldur's Gate 1. So if it, if it reminds me reminds you of Baldur's Gate 1, and also the, the first two Fallout games, that's actually mm-hmm. a pretty apt comparison because those were sort of my primary inspiration in the way, in the way we have sort of a, a pretty linear uh, main quest line it's branching and there's definitely different ways to sort of move it forward. But there's like a, there's like this thick linear uh, central narrative. And then there's a lot of branching side content off the sides of it that we sort of aim to make uh, uh, narratively interesting. Uh, it's not just going to go into a cave and kill 10 rats. And it's, a, it, we're trying to make it a little bit more, uh, uh, 
a little bit more like a tabletop RPG would be in a lot of cases. That's sort of one of the central design pillars. That was also one of the things that was sort of central to the design of Baldur's Gate. So I think that shines through with both games. Yeah, it, the the difference being that Baldur's Gate is like a an, a dungeon master who lets you go absolutely fucking nuts, and your your guy's a dungeon master who knows how to keep everybody on track. Like that's, <laughs> that's the beauty of it. And. And I did like I kind of went in cold turkey because I I didn't have any like actual experience with the gameplay until like an hour ago, or so, and I just kind of took the risk of like you know what I just really like this whole idea of this game. Let's just see how it goes. And I, I gotta say like everything I just said is true. Like I really enjoyed the uh, the way that the narrative kind of keeps you going forward. Uh, so you you mentioned a few different games that are kind of inspirations, but I'm curious. What were the games like when you were a little kid playing these games? What were the ones that really stood out to you and made you say, like, I want to make something like this? I, I don't think at the time uh, that I really wanted to. Um, I, I didn't really get into game development until I was in my mid-20s. So mm-hmm. I was sort of a late late bloomer. And definitely the biggest inspiration games-wise that made me want to make games was actually tabletop role-playing games. I did yeah. play a lot of computer RPGs as well, but I didn't really have any any idea that that was something that could be, you know, I had no idea how, how they were made. And I, 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 like a lot of other game developers, I didn't start my career by programming the Commodore 64 in the late eighties or anything like that. I sort of got into it after seeing in the game, the movie actually uh, about the guys who made super meat boy. Um, And then it sort of dawned dawned on me that that was kind of, uh, it seemed like a fun hobby so, so I didn't really, but but I did play a, you know, all of those games that I mentioned earlier. Um, especially the Magic, Magic Candle series was a big uh, was a big hit with me when I was younger, and I really, really, got, I really got into RPGs when just about the time when Fallout One and Two and Baldur's Gate One and Two, Icewind Dale, those games, those were sort of the. Uh, um, I played RPGs earlier than those as well, but those were the games where I really went deep down the rabbit hole because I read English at at a high enough level to sort of really be able to experience them properly, not just like for the yeah. for the top level uh, action gameplay of it. So, what what were the like tabletop games that you really enjoyed? Is it just D anD D, or were there others? I played I played a whole bunch of. Um, of tabletop RPGs growing up, but mo- more than anything, we, uh, you know, I, I was always the game master and I always made my own system. And so, you know, I think that was definitely, uh, I've always, as long as I've been playing games, I've sort of been designing games, not just, not just modules for RPGs, but also like the rule systems and things like that. That was always a, a pretty big deal for me. Uh, probably partially because I grew up way out in the, way out on the countryside in rural Norway. And, uh, you know, there was no internet. There was no way of getting RPG books. You could maybe drive an hour to a bookstore and they would maybe have one or two. But if you wanted to really play RPGs, you had to make them yourself. And uh, I think that was probably a big inspiration for why I sort of got into making games. And and also for a lot of, for a lot of <laughs> you know, back in, in the mid-90s, a lot of the games, a lot of the game systems at least, even even me as a, as a teen, I think I recognized that they weren't really, they weren't all that good, like mechanically yeah. designed. <laughs> they were pretty crude. So uh, it got to a point where it was sort of, uh, it was both more fun and also a lot more rewarding to just make your own game systems and play them. So I think that's probably where it stems from. I think you're right in that we kind of see a lot of stuff through like rose tinted glasses uh, in the yeah. past. We think of like these kind of classic games, but at the end of the day, they, if you play them now, they don't really feel as good as maybe we remember them, or you know, maybe even at the time they weren't that great. It's just like all we had. Yeah, exactly. uh, and a big kind of motif that I've kind of brought up a lot on the show is that I think what's beautiful about this resurgence that we've really gotten to see lately of kind of retro style games is that we can take the principles of what made those games good in the past, and and you can be an indie developer, you could be one guy or a small team, and kind of still create something that's truly special because we have far advanced technology and a lot more time to have seen what works and doesn't work in design in general for games. Yeah. And you can, you can have like, you know, eight bit graphics, like what you've got and beautiful, like, you know, artwork and everything that is inspired by those, that era of gaming, but plays uh, very functionally for the modern gamer. 
yeah. uh, which is another thing I wanted to touch on with Scald is that like it was super intuitive. At no point in time was I confused about the controls, which is step one. Good job. <laughs> I'm super happy to hear. That's a big. That's a yeah. big sort of design pillar and sort of the. The the, the, um, the phrase I use is that I, I'm trying to make a game that is not the way that games were, but the way we kind of remember them through rosy glasses. So because, yeah. you know, playing a lot of these games today, it's a horrible experience. It really, really sucks. <laughs> so uh, so that was sort of one of – and, you know, the UI is a big part, mm-hmm. a, a big reason for why those games are so hard to get into. So having an intuitive UI and something that feels that doesn't feel like a '90s UI is a big, is a big uh, selling point for Scald. And so I'm really glad that you that you managed to get into it. That's really nice to hear. The uh, the use of space that you have uh, on the you know player screen in in game, right where you you know, the players off to the side and everything. We tend to, in this day and age, that kind of focus on making the game itself like this giant, you know, make it take up the whole screen and then like hide the UI in the corners and everything. And you seem to have really embraced the, the, the style of just like, you know, like let it let the game be over here on the left and let the you know user interface take up a lot of the screen. And it, it does a couple of things. A, it makes it more immersive with the characters themselves like you get to kind of like okay well you see his face and everything sort of like doom actually you yeah. can see doom guy's face the whole time yeah exactly but it also it also keeps that uh feeling of nostalgia alive and that like okay well the game doesn't take up the whole screen it's and it's not yeah, bordered exactly. either it's just yeah uh you you also how big is the team here is it just you or do you have a couple of people working with you or what um so, so this is a solo thing, and it's only me in the project properly. But, but I, I, you know, Skull is funded through a successful Kickstarter and an Indiegogo campaign. So, and all yeah. of those, all of that money went to to using freelance artists and writers and musicians. So, I have a lot of artists doing like the the graphical assets for most of the game. I do all of the tiles myself, and all of the everything you yeah. see, sort of on the on the action screen is is me the 16 by 16 tiles but all of the all, all of the art proper art is uh, done by uh, people who are much more more talented than i am <laughs> so so we have there's sort of a core of uh, me and maybe four five six other people who come and go as they uh, as they please uh, depending on how much time they have available for me i I don't have money to to pay anyone to work full time in the project so it's basically me asking if they have time to do this picture or this picture and you know to begin with i was a bit apprehensive about doing it that way because there is a lot of um, variability in the art not in the quality but in the art style um there can be at least but i think if you look back at a lot of games especially like um like the like bard's tale uh for instance where there was a lot of art of uh, of the monsters in the game it was there was a lot of um it was very varied because there were different artists with different styles and they didn't really have um, probably very cohesive style guides. And I think it adds a bit of charm to the game. So I've decided more to embrace it. And so I don't mind if people can tell that different artists have been working on the project. I think it, it just adds to sort of the, the viewing experience in, in, in the long run, I think. Yeah, I mean, the, all of the art is very beautiful, but I could tell that there are slightly different styles applied to di- yeah. you know, like different scenes. So for yeah. instance, like, you know, uh, some of the characters are a little like in, in no way is it like, does it break the immersion, but like a little more like cartoony or like have, have a little different drawing style than yeah. some other scenes in the game. Absolutely. You know? and, and it, I don't think that's a problem at all, but as long as you, I guess, as long as you manage to keep the game, you know, immersive, then th- that's not going to be an issue that people are like, Oh God, like this, why is this this way? I'm, I don't know, man. People no, but are weird, I think so. Maybe. I, yeah, but I think I think if you uh, when you do um, when you do art for a game, I think it's you know the important mm-hmm. thing isn't necessarily, for instance, the use of lines uh, or the use of shading. The important thing is sort of what is fundamentally being conveyed with the art, and yeah. uh, there is a lot of visual themes that we that we use as a sort of a red red line through through the art that you might not notice on the first viewing, but but it's definitely there. The way all of the images um, tend to fade out to black 
towards the the edges so there are no really hard there are always um it's sort of this impression of the image sort of emerging from the darkness and this th that there is darkness creeping in around the images um there's a lot of uh, symbology and a lot of the landscapes with sort of starry skies and things like that 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 run through all of the artwork that sort of you might not really you might not consciously notice it but it's there is a pretty heavy art direction in the game even though i allow for sort of a a big uh, verisimilitude of uh of uh, how the arts themselves are being made so right yeah if that, if that makes the sense. only issue the only issue that i had with the artwork was that i know this is a video game and a lot of people are going to be like okay get on with it like more story more gameplay yeah and each one of these photos is like something that you could probably hang in a fucking art gallery and i would stare at yeah, it for exactly. four and a half hours picking apart every detail and that's one of the things that i was trying to because I, I knew i was kind of on a time frame like i, I figured as if if you went to bed today like fuck it i'll talk to you tomorrow because <laughs> i really wanted to like take take a moment and like look at everything like and just try to yeah. enjoy it and soak it in yeah and i did that a lot with the art like i would just like sit there and stare at it for a while and then like really that's get so a cool to hear scene. that's so uh, nice to hear i hope that more people do that because it's there's just a lot to take in and and I, I tried to like really go in deep, like it with every conversation I had with a townsperson or, you know, in the, in the, the refugee camp and everything, like just really like go the extra mile to like get the full conversation. Yeah. Uh, but I'm like, it's kind of a problem I have like with RPGs. I'm a completionist. And so yeah. I have to like kind of avoid them a little bit. Yeah. I, every once in a while I'll just indulge, you know, I'll, I'll be, all right, I'm going to play an RPG and I know that for the next month I'm not doing anything else and my life is over and I'm going to be unproductive <laughs> <laughs> because I do that. Like I, I really go all the way in. Like I want to know every line, like everything they have to say and try to pay attention yeah, exactly. and not rush through it. Yeah. So yeah, the biggest takeaway, like right up front, is that you've you have already successfully made a very immersive game that soaked me in. Thank you so um, much. That's really really nice to hear. Honestly, it is. And with every good compliment, must come a nice backhanded insult. So of course, uh, you're uh, you're also doing most of the the story writing, and I assume a lot of the text for the game. Uh, and I'm sure you've already gotten this feedback. But the the one thing that was just like. Actually, the only thing about the game that stood out to me is like a problem is that if you're going to have so much text in your game, it better be perfect. And currently it's not. And I'm sure you'll figure it out. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Brush through the whole thing. But there, there's a lot of like uh, just little English mistakes that kind of break the immersion a little bit. Uh, yep. For instance, you know, um, <laughs> you'll, you'll, uh, you'll just kind of like miss an like an apostrophe s or like an e yeah yeah, yeah. Or, exactly or, or there's kind of yeah off and off will always be uh you know uh it's and it's it's all, all of those uh walking to every trap so we spent you know and, and actually that's sort of one of the big logistical challenges we're we're looking into not just me but like the whole community is how can we um how can we proofread, a, you know, a text corpus this size? Because it's a pretty big thing. And even for, you would think it's me writing all the text, but it, you know, honestly, a lot of it's also written by people who are English speaking. But in the, the yeah. software we use to input the text, there isn't any spell checking, and at least not to the level that we that we sort of get not just uh, typos, but also sort of semantic spell checking that you get in sort of one of you know these mm -hmm. like in the Google Docs, it will it will say that, you know, well, this should be, it should be off, not off, <laughs> you know, something like yeah. that. Um, so we don't have that kind of spell checking and doing it in a game like this, is it's actually really challenging. So that's something where we're probably going to draw more heavily on the community. We have a pretty awesome community that's really sort of just, you know, uh, they're, uh, they're really anxious or really, they really want to help out. And so finding workflows that allows people to to contribute directly uh, into sort of the uh, into the data of the game, actually going into the data of the game and, and fixing typos is one of the big things because it's you know type I mean typos would happen even if this was made by an English uh, company as well oh, because it's yeah. uh, there's so much text and it's uh, yeah 
that was one of the big things I was telling Damian is like, cause his game is essentially a fucking book, you know, like yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Ragnar is, I was like, man, maybe you should be writing the next great novel. I don't know about this game thing. Uh, I'm kidding. But it, it, I mean, same thing. And it, it's with, it's, you're going to see that in any, uh, indie developers project is it has nothing to do with the fact that, you know, maybe it's not your first language, like perfectly solid native English speaker is going to make mistakes. And yeah, it's just yeah, a matter absolutely. of catching them before they go public. Uh, or, or, you know, like correcting them in the aftermath, but yeah, like whatever, that's the one thing about the game that right now that just stood out to me is like, okay, this has to be clean, cleaned up a, a yeah. bit. And, yeah. but if that's all people are complaining about, then uh, I don't see the problem. Yeah. <laughs> you know, honestly, I'm pretty, I'm pretty, that's not the worst. <laughs> that's not the worst complaints we could be having. So so uh so no i'm 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 glad to hear despite of course it's not fun to ship a game with um with typos in it but we still have a long time until or not a long time but we still have months to go before we enter early access and even then there will be a lot of time to to do things like that and i think people just have to people just have to accept the fact that this is a this is a solo developed developed project uh yeah. that's pretty hugely ambitious in a lot of ways and uh if typos is the worst they have to put up with, then so be it. I think they uh, <laughs> they'll survive, and the typos will it's get fixed. A... I wrote one down that's not actually a typo; it's actually more like a like a play on words because yeah. it's it's just an illustration of how stupid the English language is. But yeah, so the the tonics, right? The health tonics. Yeah. Uh, when you read the text box that describes what they do, they say <laughs> restores a small amount of health when drunk and, <laughs> yeah yeah and, when, when and i hear you first, say it it's <laughs> well maybe that was the intention <laughs> yeah i, I thought like do i because i found a spirit too and i was like okay so i have to do the spirit first and then chase it with the health tonic or like yeah, well, well i don't know i don't know what i'm supposed to do here but yeah but i think you, I, I think you just designed a much more interesting game mechanic than the one that's actually in the game so uh mission accomplished i guess <laughs> yeah you to go to the tavern and get hammered first and then you can heal your characters so. yeah that's fantastic it sounds like a great uh that's that now hmm, yeah, interesting that, that's some interesting design space no but yeah i totally get where you're coming from and that's exactly the kind of things we have to uh weed out of the game and uh it will be a big job but i think we'll we'll get there eventually what are you drinking on there? I'm uh, I'm actually drinking a Corona beer. <laughs> My wife bought one, and that was the only thing we had in the fridge. So <laughs> you can uh, you can beat me out if. Uh... <laughs> no man, I, I live right on the border uh, of Mexico, and Corona is very popular here. In fact, oh really. Yeah, like my dad loves Corona. It's like the only beer he'll actually drink. He just yeah. squeezes. Did you squeeze a lime in it first? Uh, we you didn't have lime, so I didn't. But but I totally yeah. do if I. Uh, yeah, it's like drinking lemonade. Gotcha. I guess it's uh, it's a good thirst drink. And I just came in from a run, so I'm pretty uh, red faced and uh, a little bit thirsty. So Corona was a good uh, was a good pick for today. <laughs> I think it's a refreshing beverage at the end of a nice day. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so. I guess it's time to turn the conversation for the worst and let's start talking about the background of this thing. So yeah, why good. did you name it Scald? I think there's a lot of different reasons for it. And uh, mm -hmm. um, probably like the, the first and definitely least sexy reason is that Skull has a lot of... It's not really a word that's been used a lot in... Um, in uh, in game names so it's sort of unique and it's also recognizable enough that it can be used as uh, something that identifies uh, games across titles and sort of the whole idea about the scald uh, system or engine is that i'm going to reuse it to make several games at least as long as this one doesn't bomb completely so there is there is definitely an element of sort of building a brand and having some brand recognition associated with it. And also because, mm -hmm. you know, Skald is basically, it's a Scandinavian storyteller and that what better name for a Norwegian company that makes role-playing role games, I guess. So, but there's also beyond that sort of in, in game um, explanation for it is um, 
you know, I had this discussion the other day with one of my backers, and and his sort of read on it was that uh, that the skull is uh, that, that it refers to sort of the the game basically being a retelling of of heroic stories, and yes, that's definitely a way to to see it. But in my mind, uh, sort of the the in game the the role of the skull in the skull universe is basically this idea this idea that 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 the game world that that you're experiencing now is basically a society that's not only on the on the brink of collapse but sort of it's already it, it's in a very slow burning uh collapse of of this big uh roman empire-esque uh social institution and uh and sort of the idea is that these are in fact tales being told through some oral tradition many years after the fact by skulls because there are no books left they've all been burned it's it doesn't exist anymore um right. so that's sort of more of the the in-game um the, the in-game explanation that we're sort of hearing these stories many years after the game takes place and and we're only sort of experiencing the only way to experience them is uh, through this sort of this oral tradition because society has regressed to a point where words aren't being written down anymore. So there's sort of this, it's this bearded wanderer, you know, stumbling into this uh, cottage for the evening up in somewhere in the high north in this post-atomic uh, magic apocalypse. And uh, he pays for his food and lodging by telling stories of uh, how the empire fell, sort of. That's sort of the, the idea around... Uh, around uh, what the Skald would be doing in the Skald universe when we encounter them. Initially, when I I first saw the project, I thought, I thought the game was about a Skald. Like I'm going to be the Skald in the game, you know, that kind of thing. And I'm sure you got a a little bit of that. And I was kind of like trying to play around with that in my head. I'm like, so am I, is this a game about telling stories? And I like your explanation of it because what you're saying is actually what happened basically in real life. I mean, uh, when Ro- the Holy Roman Empire kind of started to take over Europe, um, the only thing we had left of the Germanic pagan you know, folklore and everything was through the Skalds, and, and actually through Christians who had long since kind of yeah. forgotten about it in yeah, Iceland. Exactly. Like, exactly. One of the reasons why brought the Icelandic vodka was like Sn- <laughs> Snorri Sturluson decided it was important even though it wasn't his like even i don't know i don't know what was going on in his head but allegedly it wasn't his religion but they had kept the stories alive through oral storytelling and he thought it was yep. important to write it down yeah exactly and, exactly yeah. and so now all we really have of those stories is what was passed down orally you know in the in germany in that area and then in Scandinavia and Iceland and the Faroe Islands and everything. So we yeah, had, exactly. and then, and the, the Eddas themselves, which were, uh, if I understand correctly, the Romans just decided like, well, let's try to record what these people believed before we Christianize them. Yeah. And then end up with those, those documents that we still have, which have been translated a million times, but yeah, yeah, exactly. And, um, yeah. And there, it, it, it will definitely be possible to play a scald in the game, but the premise yeah. of the game isn't that you are a scald necessarily. Uh, but the scald will, of course, make an appearance, like a literal appearance in the game. You will, of course, be able to play mm. as a scald instead of a bark, for instance. <laughs> so uh, they will be in the game. They will. Uh, so the characters that I've, I've gotten to see so far, we've got a cleric. We've got. I, I chose to be a uh, warrior because I figured. If I'm gonna make it through the game in an hour, I better like just take yeah. it through and kill everything yeah. in my sight. Uh, although I would have preferred probably like the next time I play it, I'll probably be a rogue because that's usually what I play in tabletop games. Yeah. Um, and then we also have uh, what 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 class is uh, what's his name? I'm sorry, I'm Roland. Everybody's names right now. Roland. Yes. Roland what, what is, is a warrior his... as well. Okay. Yeah, he's, so, um, he's the warrior you get from the start of the game, so you don't have to play a warrior to survive the game. <laughs> well, unless you want to, of course. You don't have to bring Roland along, yeah. but he's a pretty he's a pretty interesting character. So, um, uh, and you know, it's like I said, he's uh, he's he's a big meat shield. <laughs> so, 
Yeah, I, I immediately just farmed around in the island, and then I yeah. kept going back to the merchant to, and I just bought everybody like the best armor I could. Yeah, exactly. I guess it's the plated armor at this point. Yeah, uh, yeah. There's there's no just, restrictions on on items yet in the game. I didn't put in anything. I mean, the mage can wear plate mail if you want to. So <laughs> it's it's pretty forgiving in that sense. I actually like I liked that freedom. I thought it was like, a, oh, this is refreshing. I can just like go ape shit and like buy everybody yeah. everything. But yeah, you gotta you gotta have some sort of limitation, I guess. Uh, you can't have your mage running around in a, a knight's armor, and uh, you have to invent some reason why magic can't go through steel or whatever. I don't really I don't really have a problem with with spellcasters um, using uh, armor in the game, uh, and probably that will be it will be possible. But I think I'll do something where there is a there is a penalty if you use armor that you're not proficient with, and the game is the game advancement in the game is sort of it's level based, but you you get character points and you buy feats, and the whole the whole idea is that if if you're if you're a mage and you want to buy the feat that will allow you to wear plate mail, then go ahead. It will cost you it will cost you the character points from maybe advancing three or four levels to do so. But if you want to do that, that's fine. And um, yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm a big believer in letting people express themselves through role-playing games, and I'm not really here to put hurdles in front of people. It's uh, more interesting to give them tools and see what they build with it, I think. Yeah, I think you're on the right track in in the case of not necessarily limiting their ability to do it, but ma- making some incentive for them not to necessarily. Yeah, ex- so exactly. like, a lot of what you see is uh, you'll, you'll see Dark Souls, good example, since I've been playing that a lot lately. There are armor types that are like less um, actual shielding you from defense, but they actually boost your ability to use magic. So maybe you're incentivized to use that um, instead of, you know, just going yeah. for whatever's the most defensive to you, like that kind yeah. of thing. Uh, or that that's, in my opinion, the way to go about it. But you're the game designer. I'm not here to tell you what to do. I, I like your explanation. I think that's a good way to handle it. Give the freedom. Freedom is important in an RPG or any. It, for me, any game. Yeah, I don't it's like a huge part of an RPG. I think I really think it is. Mm. And uh, I used to, I, I usually try to think that I I try not to design in sort of in negative spaces where I I try not to sort of do things that imposes limitations on the players. I instead try to offer the players things that give them bonuses instead, so that whenever you mm-hmm. you do something, you don't really it's it's more it's not really about avoiding penalties. It's about sort of uh, getting bonuses. I think that's a lot more uh, rewarding to players because I think as as as, uh, as game designers, not necessarily game designers, but especially programmers, we're when we're making role-playing games, we're often sort of, we're implementing our dream game in a sense. And then there's a lot of logical things that should go into that. But uh, it's not really, like for instance, mages can't wear armor, uh, well, okay. Well, I don't think anyone anyone would disagree with that. But just because you can put it in the game, there's not really a reason to do it. <laughs> and uh, there's a lot of things like that where where it's it's just so easy to put a lot of those things in because it sort of it it helps shape the world the way you see it in your head. But that doesn't necessarily make for a good experience with the end user, with you you who's playing the game. I think that you're you the same thing is with difficulty, for instance. Uh, I'm going to have very customizable difficulty in the game. And anything that's sort of, uh, for instance, uh, you'll be able to toggle on and off encumbrance. If you don't want to deal with encumbrance, toggle it off. If you don't want to deal with uh, trash mob random encounters, you can turn it off. And a lot of game designers think that, no, but that's not the way I intended to play the game. Uh, Well, but how you intended people to play the game is secondary to how people want to play your game. If someone wants to turn off random encounters and encumbrance, let them do so. It's completely fine. I really, I, I just want people to have a good experience playing the game, and um, so I think that's in general, uh, it's sort of, uh, it's a big overarching theme for for me when I'm making this game. As someone who has spent a lot of time talking to game designers, I think that is exactly the right way to think about it. Uh, it's good you, to hear. you do see a lot of people who really want to make the game play experience that they personally want to play. Yeah, exactly. And, and I admire that. Like, I think there, there's some part of that that's good. Like you should have a little bit of that it, or perhaps 50% of it, but 
you can't forget the fact that you you know you're trying to sell the game like yeah exactly to other people who aren't exactly like you and it's very difficult like uh, it could be something as simple as like well hey uh, why aren't there why is there no jump in this game well the game that i really liked when i was a kid didn't have jumping in it and i don't want this game to have jumping yeah, in it. exactly but, yeah but what if it would be why don't you just not push the jump key and let other people do whatever the hell they want like, yeah exactly yeah, but you know, and also the the nice thing about designing role playing games is that there's a lot of there's a lot of knobs you can very easily tweak on and off that doesn't make the game unplayable, but it might make it a lot easier or more enjoyable to some people. And so, I would say if you're designing a role playing game and you don't have customizable difficulty in the game, then you're doing something wrong, <laughs> uh, because there is really, I mean, in any in any RPG code, it's in the code, the code base for any RPG, if, st- if, if the code isn't locked down and you can still change it, it's usually very, very simple to do things like tweak these variables, like uh, yeah, like I, like we talked about with random encounters or anything that sort of some people love it, some people hate it, and uh, I think that's that's really a big selling point. And you know, and the other side of the coin is that we will also have. Uh, it will also be possible to sort of play the game, for instance, on Iron Man mode, having only one save and, and you know, the game resetting if you die and things like that, because some people really love that as well. And then there's Steve achievements to give people if they do it one way or the other. People make video- videos on YouTube of them, you know, uh, playing the game on super hard mode or speed running the game. Because it's all about, you know, who am I to say what kind of experience people are going to have playing the game. People get to decide for themselves what experience they want. And that's that's the important part, I think. You've, you've got a good balance because, as I said earlier, I mean, the story seems like very straightforward. Like, you're, you are, in fact, telling the story. You're dictating how the story is laid out in terms of where your main character is going. But... You do have choices in like, you know, who do I take with me or how will I level up my characters? You've got a very good mix of freedom and like actual, like, I wouldn't say linearity necessarily, but like guidance. Yeah. It's a hard balance to make. Uh, I wanted to move on a little bit and talk about the, uh, mark, like the system with the marketing and selling your things and buying things. And one of the things that I noticed right right up front was that, so in, in the in the camp, you, you have a, a market uh, that you can go to, and and she will sell you a bunch of like you know armor and swords and buy things from you and everything. But one of the things that like really stood out to me immediately was that she has an item which which is her pile of gold. Yeah, and, <laughs> you can buy the gold. I know <laughs> you can buy the gold. Yeah, and, yeah. So, she is... wants one gold piece. <laughs> Per gold piece. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> that sounds like a good deal. Now, I think, you know, this is one of those systems where there's a lot of systems in the game currently uh, in the beta yeah. that are, that are, I wouldn't, they're not placeholders in the sense that I'm not going to replace the systems, but they're not really, they're not properly bounded yet, um, if that makes sense. So, for instance, also, like the vendor in the camp, there is no reason why she should have a full inventory of plate mail. <laughs> But it's just because I haven't really, I haven't tweaked those knobs yet. The same goes for, yeah. there is a pretty complex faction system in the game, but it's not really online in the game right now. Um, so, it, like when you complete quests in the camp, uh, you'll get better prices with the merchant, with with the with the merchants and so forth. But those are kind of, uh, we have to put those systems online incrementally, or else uh, it becomes uh, very overwhelming to, to debug. And also, I'm the only person coding the game. So so there's a, you know, even though there's a lot of rough edges like this, the infrastructure underlying it and the architecture underlying all of it is pretty solid. It just needs some mm-hmm. uh, refinement. And so right now, you can buy the merchant's gold. <laughs> Yeah, I, I originally thought that was like an Easter egg. I'm like, wait, if I, because it it doesn't say you'll get one piece of gold in return. It says she wants one gold piece for a pile of gold, and I was like, yeah, uh, okay, let's, let, let's see what happens. Yeah, no, no, it's not, it's not that bad, but it's, uh, but yeah, you can buy the gold, and uh, well, I guess if you want to trade one gold piece for another, that's completely fine. <laughs> So maybe it's just another layer of real of realism in the game. I, I don't know. Yeah. Another thing that I actually, I guess it got lost in translation somewhere, but there's the, the combat system, right? So you, you, 
every time you enter combat, you give the option. Like if you would, you know, want to just have the combat kind of play out based on your character stats and, you know, the best moves and everything. It says push the return key, but I'm an American and I don't have a return key. I have an enter key. And yeah, I actually exactly. had to ask my friend, what is this? Like, What's the return where, key? Where's the return key on my keyboard? Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. in the, in the in in the like the the literal key codes that are built into yeah, the yeah. programming language they use, there are there's an enter key and there's a return key and the enter key is under your numpad, on the yeah. far right of the keyboard and the enter key is the I, one that yeah so, but uh, yeah I uh, I agree. Point to the numpad on this. It's it's that it's, isn't it? It's not there. Oh really? Yeah, yeah exactly. It's, it's a ten keyless keyboard. There I play first-person shooters, man. I don't have time for no fucking numpad taking up my desk space when I'm trying <laughs> to swing my mouse around like an idiot. <laughs> Goddamn numpad. Yeah, but well, you figured uh, it out. Yeah. You figured it out. It was a learning experience for you. Yeah, it's it's all good. Yeah. But that was just like, oh, what what am I supposed to do here? Like return key. So I just, I, I mean, I really got involved in the combat. I, like I didn't try that until the very end when I figured out what it was supposed to do. Yeah. Um. And I like the combat system. It's, if I'm not mistaken, I, I watched some some videos of people doing like a, I guess it was like a let's play of an earlier build, like an alpha yeah. build. Yeah. And you actually had like a grid based combat system that you seem to have since sort of. Uh, I mean, it's still a grid, but I guess made less obvious. If I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Uh, it depends which version you saw, but the. The game is the combat system has gone through the biggest changes in the game. It used to be not even grid based; it was completely static, like in a JRPG. Like your characters mm-hmm. would just face off on the sides. There was really yeah. no positioning in the game. It was just a question of were you in the first rank or the second rank. And if you were in the first rank, you could attack with melee. And then we sort of made a transition to a grid based system, but where the game would sort of shift from the world map to a to a dedicated combat map that you would resolve the combat on. Um, That's what I saw. It was yeah, like, exactly, was exactly. Yeah. And then we sort of took the step completely, and, and now combat plays out on the on, on the exact map you're exploring. So, um, which is obviously the best solution. Um, so I should have gone with it from the start. But there were some design, there were, there were, uh, there were some historical reasons as well why we sort of started the way we did. Uh, and... Uh, it had to do with sort of the the pedigree of the game and which kind of games we were emulating to begin with. And but you know, there are some things that are it, it looks good on paper, and especially when you sort of when you see it through the the lens of being nostalgic. But I think uh, it's definitely better the way it is now. It's so much closer to what uh, it's a happy marriage of sort of being turn-based and some you know even though it's uh yeah it's turn-based you can sort of lean back and think it's very tactical but it's also it has some there is some graphical components to it and and one of the things that was that was a big impetus for the change for me is that if people were watching you play this game on youtube would they be able to sort of read from from seeing your screen what was going on and that wasn't as apparent in the earlier versions of the combat system. And that's sort of one of the big reasons why we changed it the way we did. It's a lot more interesting for other people to watch other people play. And that's a huge mm-hmm. thing today. Even for a tiny little strange game like Scald, seeing Let's Plays of the game is, is huge. And for me as an indie dev, I mean, if I sell a thousand copies or two thousand copies, that's a huge difference. And, and, and the only thing that, you know, and, and that's the difference that can be made by one YouTuber picking up the game and playing it for 15 minutes, so to speak. So, so um, making it more readable is uh, has been a big deal the last six months, and I'm super happy with uh, how far we've gotten, considering how primitive the graphics are, relatively speaking. Yeah, I, I agree with you. It's, it's you got to make it look sexy, uh, or else people kind of in this day and age, especially people you have options, right? So they they're going to look around and like Absolutely. if it doesn't catch their eye immediately uh whatever yeah exactly. and i think that in, in any rpg right unless you're just going to go with straightforward actual you know real-time combat it's always going to be the hardest uh, thing to decide on because yep. we're always kind of in this flux of like well because when you make the decision to have turn-based combat 
you you cut off a lot of people immediately, right? Like there's there's people who want that and love that and yeah. are used to it, and then there are so many different ways to do it as we've already just gone through here. And then there are people who are just like, nope, I want real time combat. Period. And you've got like a really nice little mix where it's even though it is turn based, it kind of still feels like you know I, I can still move around, I can still be involved in the action itself. Yeah. Um. Well, you know, one of the games that actually really got turn-based combat uh like grid style combat right was south park the stick of truth i'm not yeah, sure if you did, ever saw that did. game but they nailed it yeah it was so much fun yeah absolutely mm. absolutely yeah i think that was also one of the things that coming back to the the idea of having options in the game and having a lot of knobs to tune for the players as well um you know you can also you can you can turn the game down to narrative mode in difficulty, and then whenever you enter combat, just press enter or return, <laughs> and then just have the combat play out basically as a real-time game. You just lean back, and then the players yeah. will go to town on their opponents. And uh, and that's so, also something uh, we will like probably finish. improve more in the game. Is sort of the, the AI of the auto-resolve is currently pretty primitive, but uh, there is no limit to how refined we can make it. So, so that even auto-resolving the game uh, should be a completely valid uh, way of playing it. We, we could auto-resolve it in the sense that, that there was no combat. There, you would just get a message saying, you won this combat or you lost and this is how it went. But I didn't really want that. I think it's a very good happy medium to sort of have the game take on almost this real-time like quality and then you can stop it at any time you can issue some orders do some healing specs and then just turn turn the auto resolve on again and see the game play out i think that's uh, it's really satisfying so um, I'm, I'm very happy with that function in the game yeah the auto resolve mechanic itself actually brought me back to when i played knights of the old republic which had that implemented in fact I would say that's about the closest comparison between your game and any other combat system I've seen. I don't know if that had anything to do with your planning, but you you have the option to like okay, go through by each character, what is, you know, what's my strength here? What what's the optimal thing I should do? Or you can make the decision to move out of the way and just let shit happen, defend all this yeah. stuff. almost exactly how it plays out in uh Nice of the Old Public. That was 100% not intentional, but now that you say it, it's actually a pretty good comparison that I didn't think about before you you mentioned it. But it's actually uh, it's you're you're spot on. It's actually a pretty good comparison. Yeah, I mean, are there any more like like recent RPGs that kind of even if they are indie or whatever that you kind of leaned on or looked at and said like this is sort of thing I would I'd like to go for. I think in terms of the combat system in particular, there's a lot of uh, D&D 3.5 edition in it. Mm. Um, So especially sort of the focus on positioning in the game and the way that works. There's a lot of the tabletop D&D 3.5 edition in the game. And I think people who played D&D 3.5 will will definitely uh, recognize a lot of the sort of the terminology and it will they will it will come very easily to them um, and beyond that there's not there's honest, honestly not a lot of modern games who, well actually the pillars of eternity games as well they were they, yeah. they did some pretty interesting game uh, interesting things in in their combat system and uh, some of the features I haven't really implemented yet uh, that have to do, for instance, with the way you regenerate hit points after combat. It's not in the game right now. Right now, we have a very a typical like in D and D that your hit points go down, and then you can cast healing spells or you can rest to 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 get them back up. But the way they did hit points in the Pillar of Eternity games is uh, is a very interesting uh, is a very interesting way of doing it. Which uh, I don't know if you're familiar with it, with it. Did you play Pillars of I Eternity? Have... I've not played it. I have one friend who plays it religiously. Like he once yeah. every like three months when they put out like the, the next chapter or whatever, he goes away for like, he's like, I'll see you guys in like two or three weeks. <laughs> and- <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, well what they do with hit points is that whenever you, whenever you're in combat, you, you lose hit points in two different ways. One is that you lose mm-hmm. them very superficially. And uh, these hit points will recover instantly whenever combat is over. And then when you take real wounds, you sort of it lowers the maximum of what your hit points can be. So 
you may end up, you may start a combat with 30 hit points and then you lose maybe 25 of them but they might pop right back up but then if someone critically hits you you might lose 10 of your maximum hit points so when when you regenerate after combat it only goes up to 20 and the difference is that sort of this this uh, like the major critical damage, it can't be healed by your healer. It can only be healed by resting. And this means that you won't have to keep using your cleric's spells to cast healing spells mm. after every combat. You can use it in combat to sort of boost the, the light damage and to sort of avoid passing out from that. But after combat is over, you will automatically heal everything you can possibly heal without resting, which means that you, you don't have to do all of the, sort of this healing spell logistics. That's a big part of, of, um, of many role-playing games. So that's probably the way I'm going to do it as well, to avoid people having to sort of spend 15 minutes after every combat healing everyone in the party up. You will instantly get back what you can get back, and the rest you have to set up camp and rest to recover properly. So... I There's a lot you. of innovations like that in Pillars of Eternity games that I think were really good, so I'm I'm stealing when I can from them. <laughs> I think that pretty much covers like the combat system because I, I think it'll from what I'm understanding from you, you'll continue to innovate on it as we go. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah. Uh one of the others I guess we're kinda closing on your your time frame you gave me, so I do want to kind of dive into uh what, if anything, uh, is there an influence of the actual skaldic poetry on the story of the game at all, or the the world the world that the game takes place in? No, because there isn't. Re- there isn't really on the story of the game. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Not at all, actually. Uh, the story is actually, I, w- I would say, more than anything, inspired by uh, more pulpy noir, and also actually. For instance, the first season of True Detective is a pretty big influence okay. on uh, a lot of the writing in the game. So I chose to sort of not let myself be constrained too much by by the scald part of the name, and that's also because I very easily what, you know, one of the one of the problems you have when you make games is that we're there is so the popular culture now is so big and so rich that you can hardly turn around without drawing comparisons from other. Uh, from other games and i very easy i very i very early started sort of having people worry that the game was going to be too similar to skyrim for instance okay it's it's an empire and then there are some nordic people and there's some conflict oh it's skyrim and so i actually took took sort of i, I pulled out everything that looked like norse mythology or, or history and culture from the game basically because i yeah i want to i want skull to be its own thing definitely um so so no i would say that there isn't really a lot of it in it i'm sorry if that disappoints you a bit but (laughs) it doesn't it's it's totally fine because there's well i should say there is a two sides to it uh, to my feeling on that one is that i just finished reading a saga of the vol songs today and i was like oh fuck like that'd be really cool like to play this game and and i really like that uh whole book and it's a huge part of like you know european culture and everything but the other side of it is that uh not just rpgs but high fantasy as a a genre all stems from tolkien essentially like we everything gets tied back to that and he was hugely influenced by the the fens and the nordic uh mythology and yeah the the ring cycle and everything uh, in wagner too but it's all based on that and it's kind of uh, it kind of gets old, you know. It, it's like, I, how much, how many games are we going to do that are just more Lord of the Rings over and over and over again? That's yeah. what you get in D anD D. That's what you get in, in, in anything be, that's not cyberpunk. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. And you know, and for, for my part, it's story. Yeah, and right. I, you know, it would be it would be super easy to just delve into the trope space of. Uh, of uh, sort of the whole fantasy uh, zeitgeist as it is today, but I think that's that's not what the people who backed Skull backed the game to to see, and it's also it's not the kind of story I want to tell. I really yeah. want to do I want to tell a different story, and um, it would be more difficult to tell the kinds of stories that I told 
if I went too deep on generic fantasy tropes. And sadly, the whole Norse mythology thing, um, as much as I love it, it's also it's also become part of this very very popularized fantasy tropes due to series like the Vikings and also the, the game Skyrim. So it's difficult to do anything um, involving anything that looks like Norse mythology without instantly sort of drawing those comparisons and also diluting a little bit of of uh, of what your of what 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 makes Skald Skald. And I think there's a lot of yeah. subtle, uh, there's a lot of subtle things in the game that might be difficult to put your finger on, but sort of, it, it, I, it's difficult, to, you know, as as in, in in the sense that I am an artist, you know, it's there's something about calling your own work postmodern, but there is a streak of postmodernism in Skull. It's uh, it's sort of self-referential in a way, and it sort of tries to skew some of the tropes uh, that's so common in fantasy literature. And So, um, I don't know, it's a bit long-winded answer, but I think uh, it would be difficult to do what I want to do if I if I went too deep on, on very well-established pop-cultural tropes, if that makes sense. I agree, and it's actually, to me, it's kind of sad, because I, I actually kind of hate the fact that, I like the TV series Vikings, to an extent, I don't like the fact that they wear rubber shoes. Like that's not a fucking historically accurate at all. But like, we'll let that slide. And uh, I, I never liked Skyrim, but I get it. Like that's it's Tolkien yeah. style uh, fantasy and everything. Um, I'm surprised you didn't bring up uh, Assassin's Creed because that's what everybody's fucking in their mother's talking about to me right oh, now. I, like, oh, I, I don't even, even touch like that doing, shit. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, me neither. I've never played an Assassin's Creed game. Very proudly, have never touched an Assassin's Creed game. But they're like oh, Assassin's Creed Valhalla. Uh, oh, Rune, Rune no. Two is pretty oh. good. I enjoyed a bit of that. Um, but the it's it kind of sucks that like Vi- Viking, what they call Viking stuff is just so popular that it's it's not even cool anymore to do it. Which sucks no, because it, it makes for a great story. I think I think uh, and then you, because the thought is of course the thought crossed me to sort of delve deep in on the Viking thing and sort of do the mm-hmm. Viking thing instead. But the thing that also I realized very quickly was that if I did it, the only way I would do it was to sort of I would I would have to make a Viking game that was a lot more nuanced than most other Viking games are that sort of focused on a lot of these aspects of of. Uh, early medieval northern european culture that are that are very undercommunicated but are perhaps more interesting yeah. than sort of this bare-chested berserkers with big axes and horned helmets um and uh, <laughs> i like that the witcher literally like turned them into bears like let's just go all in on it. yeah exactly exactly <laughs> and so so that was sort of my so i i couldn't have done it like a little bit i would have to do it I would have to sort of dig deep if I was going to do it. So I think it's better to more or less cut it out of the game completely then. Yeah, yeah. no, you're telling your own story here. Like I knew from the moment that I went into the maze and interacted with, uh, you know, the memories of, uh, is her name, what, what's her name again? I'm sorry. Embla. I keep forgetting everybody's names. Yeah, Embla. Embla um, is her name. Embla. I, I, I was going to say like Emily, but you're right, Embla. Of course you're right. You made it. Uh, I knew from the moment that that thing happened, I was like, okay, we're going on a totally different journey than I thought. This is some like, yeah, exactly. it's going to get psychedelic. We got colors in the water. Everything's cool. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a weird topic. Like it's like, cause if you really wanted to make like a true honest to goodness, like Viking kind of game or like, I shouldn't even say that like old Norse, like traditional, story like how everything is quote-unquote meant to be i mean you'd have to start basically turning my farog into a video game and i wouldn't want that task <laughs> like no because you are you even are you familiar with my farog no no oh okay so i'm gonna say his name once it's a dirty name uh in a lot of circles but varg vikernis i'm He's oh yeah, 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 yeah. I, I know. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Of course, of yeah. Varg Vikernes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's uh, a yeah. renowned Norwegian Satanist and black metal uh, <laughs> artist, now turned yeah. uh, 
role-playing uh, tabletop RPG author. <laughs> uh, people people have his, their opinions on Varg. Uh, I mean, it, it, he he, uh, he went to jail there for a long time for yeah, killing yeah. the the other uh, Euronymous. Yeah, and I mean, but I'll say this about him: interesting guy. It, at the very least, very very interesting character. And but he did make my Farog. And I actually That's bought true. it for a friend of mine who was really into tabletop games because I was like, "Oh, I, I like this kind of shit. Let's just see what's in there." Yeah. And it, it, and he really, he really. If there's nothing else to be said about the guy, he's very deeply into like preserving the the culture and and that's what that game is about to him. Yeah. And it, anyway, point being, like that that's about the most like Norwegianist game I've ever seen in my life. It's just all about like you know they, it goes into like every little detail of the world like the the May uh, what is it called the the May festival yeah uh, where you, you pick a May king and a May queen and all like it's, it's very like yeah. to to the point where in the book it describes how like well there is no toilet paper so you have to wipe your ass with moss which you must yeah collect exactly along the way. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know that anybody wants to play a game like that I think I think you're on the right track man just tell tell your fantasy story make it original let it come from your soul your mind and that and it's already beautiful like just the little vertical slice that i've played so far is absolutely beautiful that's fantastic to hear <sighs> and uh we're, we're just past the hour mark now so i will give you the opportunity to say let's say in closing here uh i assume when we release this you will have the press release and such uh pretty much out there so people will be seeing the game a lot more uh, what can folks do to help you and support you right now? So when, when we're talking right now, I'm currently uh, setting up the Steam page, and we've also just recently applied to get the game onto uh, to GOG.com. And hopefully by the time this uh, podcast goes up, we will have both landing pages ready. So what I recommend people do is go to uh, to to the devlog, which is called RPG.com. And then just mm-hmm. um, do whatever it says on the front side. It will probably point you directly to to the Steam and GOG pages. Go there, wishlist the game. That's the biggest thing you can do. And if you want, uh, I mean, if you want, uh, if you want to sort of b- become part of uh, of uh, the Scald community, it's a really, really, really awesome community. We have some. We have a, a fantastic Discord. Uh, a lot of people who really passionately love RPGs, especially the kind of games like Scald. And uh, sort of making Scald is a very collaborative effort. So if this sounds like your game, and if this is something you would be interested in sort of contributing to, uh, either by just hanging out in the community or offering feedback, doing playtesting, or even maybe helping out with some editing or something like that, this is definitely the game for you. So um, check out scaldrpg.com and uh, we'll see where the game is when this podcast goes live. (laughs) Yeah, it's been really excellent just uh, getting to spend some time with you and getting to know you a bit and uh, drinking on this vodka. I, I needed an excuse because this is like this is my good vodka. I bought this so like when friends come over, I could break it out and be like, "This shit came all the way from Iceland. It's like yeah. special." Like, but I figured that if there was ever an occasion, it would be today. Yeah. So. Yeah, this was I, uh, really nice. We should totally get a beer sometime. If this was, uh, I think we could have done this for hours if uh, if we were in the same same time time zone. <laughs> usually, like uh, honestly, I will go on for three hours. I do that with guests all the time. But yeah. I I know you've you've got a limited time frame, so I'll I'll say this: come back on anytime you want at all, even if it's yeah. just a chat, and we can just go on forever and talk about all the nuanced subjects you want. And I think that it's a good thing. I say this a lot, but I. I don't think that people necessarily, and you mentioned this before we started recording, tune in just to hear about the game. They want to get to know you. And I think that when people have a personal connection with anything, you know, like like yeah. if you were a craftsman, if you're a blacksmith uh, and you're making knives, uh, people would want to buy your knife because they know you made it, right? Yeah, exactly. So my, my hope is that they get to know you and they want to support you because they find a personal connection with you. And so with that, uh, anytime you want come back uh i would love to have you back especially when you're you know getting under early access when there's releases coming up anything yeah. like that like any that occasion awesome. you can think of to come back and chat with me doors open let's do it all right thank you so much for having me on man this has been real good 
a big thanks to Al for coming on the show, talking all about this absolutely fantastic game. If you would like to support them, I recommend you do exactly what he just said and go over there to wishlist it on GOG and Steam. Thank you also to our wonderful supporters. Gotta say all their names. So Paul, Moose, Dots, Zach, Alexander, Brad, Red Eyes, Anthony, Robert, Jack, Brandy, Fred, Lord Revan, Tones, Agrax, Simon, Immorpher, the whole Flam Fam, Moleke, Mike, and Zan. I love you guys. If you would like to be mentioned alongside wonderful people like them, you can head over to inthekeep.com forward slash support and look at the many different ways that you can uh, help out. And as always, it's not all just about money, although that is helpful. The most important thing you can do is share. Share the show. Till next time, stay in the keep.